Hi guys, as you can see, I'm back in Manchester, um, but the episode that we are about to share with you was recorded um, about a week ago in uh, Goa when I was there. Um, it's a very special interview, actually. It's a uh, it's an ex-cricketer from India, obviously, um, very dear to our heart, uh, to my heart in particular, because he's... Um, he was one of my first coaches and also a very close friend of the family. Um, he's the first cricketer to have ever done an interview on a four no balls cricket. So it's a very special episode for us. Uh, he's a former Indian international World Cup winner in 1983. Um, his test record as a batsman is fantastic. 69 tests, at 4,378 runs at an average of 42.5 with 11 Test Match 100s. Um, he's also the son of the first uh, cricketer, f- first Indian cricketer to ever make a Test Match 100, and of course the first part- uh, post-partition captain of India, Lala Amarnath. Um, he had two brothers, Rajinder and Surinder. Surinder played international cricket for India as well. Um, Rajinder was a first-class cricketer for um, Punjab and Delhi, I think, in the late 70s and, uh, and 80s. Um, we're of course talking about uh, Mahindra Ramnath. He was my first coach. He's a former uh, broadcaster, coach, chairman of selectors, um, held multiple roles, had his own TV show for a while in the 80s as well. Um, very famous ex-cricketer for India. Uh, and of course, you know, somebody who's very close to us and the Nobles Cricket family. So we're very happy to have this interview done. Uh, now, of course, I'm not a person that knows too much about cricket in the 70s and the 80s. So in order to do the interview, I actually had to get somebody who was alive and who is a big cricket fan. Um, of course, Mr. Devrat could not be on the interview with us, with him being stuck in New York. Um, and so I co-opted the help of the only other person I knew who knows 70s and 80s cricket, pretty much like the back of his hand and has followed um, Jimmy Amarnath's career throughout um, its its progression. Uh, he also happens to be my father, which is unfortunate um, because he goes, you know, from um, being just a regular, average, everyday person and turns into the Indian Tony Cozier after a point. Um, uh, but he asked a series of very poignant and pointed questions. It's a great candidate interview. Um, so just enjoy the show. Hey guys, we have an exclusive interview exciting interview with the great Mahindra Jimmy Amarnath. For you guys, I am the interviewer because of three very important reasons. The first one is Pradhan Mental Center is a main sponsor of No Balls Cricket. And so just bat, just batting. I was also in the 70s and 80s a very keen follower of the game and was referred to mirthfully as the Tony Cozier of Indian Cricket. I also have been a friend of Jimmy's for the last 25 years, which has spanned over three continents. And we've divided this interview into two parts because there's a lot to discuss and for you to imbibe.
Jimmy, the first thing I want to ask you um, is, you grew up in a completely cricketing family, you know. Um, your father, of course, played for India. Yeah. Two brothers, both legendary, legendary father. Um, first centurion for India, actually. Um, what was it like growing up in a household like that? Uh, actually, I didn't have a choice, to be very honest. Really. <laughs> as far as cricket was concerned, we had three brothers. And uh, dad had planned our future, everything, uh, you know, he had just uh, decided himself. And uh, I remember, like, as a kid, uh, he would um, make us get up very early in the morning because he would, he was a very disciplined man himself. So he would be up about 5.30 or maybe earlier than 5.36, we were all up. He would take us to the ground, make us run around. And that's all the uh, earlier coaching all started. And I was very scared of him actually as a kid because he was such a towering personality. And I, I used to hear a lot of stories from different cricketers. You know, they used to come home, people like Chandu Bode, Abbas Ali Singh, and those, I'm talking about these names in the 60s. You know, whenever they would come, they would be get together. If there was a match in Delhi, they would all come home. And, uh, you know, then they would talk about cricket and all the time. And then as kids, we three brothers, Rajinder was much younger to us, Surinder and I, we would go and show our skills, you know, like over, he would say, batao ki, how to play front foot, the defensive stroke, this drive, that drive, you know, like, so it was just the beginning. And then, uh, so I think the passion was always there with him, not only with him, with us also. And we were allowed to play cricket round the year. Actually, just, uh, studies were secondary, to be very honest, and didn't bother about it. <laughs> <laughs> and he was very clear. He said, you know, you just play cricket, and if you become cricketers, your life will be good. And I'm really grateful to him. Whatever I've achieved, all thanks to his guidance. So, taking up from that point, uh, Jimmy, would you say that it's an advantage or a disadvantage to be born into a cricketing family? No, I think uh, I would take it in a positive way. It was an advantage in the sense I had... Uh, coach at home, I had a father who was a huge name and it's not that top. everybody was his friends, you know, like when he was a powerful man and there was a great personality and uh, but I think the good thing was happening that he was my mentor, he would uh, allow us to play, he would correct us, so we were playing cricket all the time, mm. so even at a young age, he made sure that uh, we learned to play fastball, so I think that helped me in my career. See, like uh, as a cricketer, when you're on the field, you're on your own. Doesn't matter whose son you are, who you are, because it's the ball and the bat. You think about those things. You don't think about your Lala Manna's son, that guy would come and bowl friendly deliveries and allow you to score on it. It never happens in cricket as such. So I think uh, advantage was always there. We were welcome everywhere as Lala's son, you know, like uh, whether it was school admission or going for practice or playing matches, anything was, everything was organized. And he planned it beautifully, actually, you know, like he was far-sighted kind of a man. He could see the, our future and uh, made us very strong. Then he would tell us, you know, like we would have good days, bad days. So it made us very rough and tough at a very young age. So... I, it's, a, it's a slightly uh, a tricky question here. But between 69 and 75, you were not in the Indian cricket team. Right. As a legendary father, of course, every individual will have detractors and they will have uh, people who support them. Did that affect your selection process, do you think? And very famously, later on, you called selectors jokers. 
Whether that was said in jest or or it was said in seriousness because of the frustration, because knowing that you have been performing brilliantly, you were not selected. And in fact, uh, Ian Chappell, uh, Imran Khan, Viv Richards have all praised you very highly as as a uh, as a cricketer. And said, Imran, in fact, has made a statement that you should never have been dropped from the Indian cricket team. Yeah. It was nice of them, you know, to uh, say such nice things about me. And they were themselves were great uh, players, great cricketers at that time. So this, in my case, like, uh, of course, there were difficult years. Because when you know you're good enough and you should be part of the team. So there, I felt definitely that they had different roles for Amanath. Even my dad in his playing days had a rough time with BCCI. And uh, he didn't give it up, you know, like, and he would just go and fight and all those things, even like when he was sent back from England in 1936. It's a huge thing happened in the country. Mm -hmm. He was such a superstar himself in those days. So he would always encourage us. You know, like, you, although we were not uh, in the Indian side, we were playing domestic cricket, we were scoring runs. And he always encouraged us and, you know, like, uh, correct our mistakes wherever we had gone wrong and all that thing. So that actually made me much stronger because uh, he said there's the no point saying thing because he's still young, you know, like if you say maybe they, you may not get an opportunity. So he just kept us down, not to say much in public or not to give statement. Of course, the media wasn't that huge in those days. But I think he said the best thing is to just keep playing, keep scoring grass. And we would play at all matches, all level, club level matches, this match, any matches we would get, we would go, would go and play. And he said, this is the only way you can, you know, like uh, slap somebody is to perform and get back into the side. Because he had seen it all. He was an experienced man. So I think that uh, helped me definitely. We have evaded the actual question, which is calling selectors a joker. <laughs> so I didn't say anything wrong. <laughs> you know, like, how can you drop a guy who's already done so well? And, you know, like, it was before the... Uh, uh, no, it was after the Asia Cup yes. and I performed exceptionally well in that uh, tournament mm. and uh, especially a game against Pakistan, which is, you know, the, the arch rival, like a rival to Indian cricket. And uh, so I think when you play well against Pakistan, so it's a different world for everybody. And I think it was a dream for every Indian cricketer to give their best. And all the time, whenever I played against Pakistan, I done very well. And when you ex do well, you expect to be part of the team. Naturally, when you're not, then it hurts. Mm -hmm. You know, I take it for too long. I didn't want to wait any more longer. So I said, enough is enough. And just say, uh, I think it has speak the truth. truth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the truth. And, it, yeah. and in, a, in, 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 a, in a very nice way, that had an impact. <laughs> it's almost forward. That must have bowled, bowled him. him. Yes, he's out. Bowled. Kozier out. Bowled. Armanath for 17. Australia 1 for 29. And what a great delivery. Watch this ball cut back from outside the off stump. Kozier was going for an attacking stroke. The ball pitching there. Now watch it come back. It's like an off spinner. Straight between bat and pad and it's hit the top of the off stump. So let's circle back around to the beginning. You actually made your debut as a fast bowler. Um, which... In case, you know, if, if once everyone watched you bowl, yeah. um, the action was something completely unique because you'd actually slow down as you got to the wicket. 
No, no, I think, uh, of course, it was much before you were born. Yeah, much before I was born, obviously. <laughs> and, no, no, I had a longish run-up. Mm -hmm. And I used to bowl quite a lot in domestic cricket. Right. And uh, I would bowl sharp. I, I won't say I was a quick bowler, but I was as quick as anybody who was playing for India at that time. Maybe there was not much of a difference in pace. The only thing, I didn't have a very long run-up. And uh, I was doing very well both as uh, I would bowl a lot and bat middle order. And so batting was always there, but uh, I wouldn't get that much opportunity. Right. Because you're batting in the middle uh, middle batting order of maybe you have lesser batsmen to play a long inning and all that thing. So the batting was always there. The bowling, because I was picked as a bowler, uh, the reason because I had done well against Australia. And that's how I got an opportunity to be a part of the squad, you know, when I made my debut. And uh, so batting was always a plus thing for me. And uh, so it was a longish run-up and it was, I used to run faster and all that thing. And I, would, I was, unfortunately, there's no footage of those days in the 60s and all that. And uh, I would, uh, I was picked as a bowler, definitely at that time. Who could bat, uh, this is what they say, I bat. when I made my debut, I bat at number eight. So, it, you know, like it was fine because uh, in Indian cricket, uh, unless uh, you establish player, you get an opportunity straight away. But I got an opportunity in the last year, so I was very happy, you know, and I think it was a dream come true for me to represent my country. So, 69 was your debut. You were very young when you, you were 18, yes, on 18, 18 or 19, something like that. And um, so... Also, it was this, one of the first series where India actually did well against Australia. At, at least they were competitive against Australia. Right. Like and you came in and took Keith Stackpole and Ian Chappell and the first two, <laughs> first two overs. Is that, is that how it was? No, it happened in the second inning. I didn't go yeah. much in the first, <laughs> first inning. Yeah. In those things were different, you know, like uh, uh, pace bowlers were not encouraged much. And uh, I think uh, every test match you would see a new pace bowler coming in. And bowling just a few overs, you know, just to do the formality and that's it. The spinners would bowl most of the time. And the wickets were also made in such a way that they would assist spinners than pace bowlers. It's not that we didn't have pace bowling in the country, but somehow we had a mindset that we were not good enough to do well in test cricket against uh, foreign teams because they had better quality fast bowlers. So that's why I think they I didn't look at... Uh, look up to the pace bowlers. I still remember guys like Rajinder Pal, Vasant Ranjan, and all these guys were like um, Ramakan Desai, Atimura has finished at that time. And they were great bowlers in their days and all that. It's not that they were not. At this I'm talking the 60s. But I think the spinners had come into play by that time. The Bishan Singh Bedi, Prasanna, Chandrasekhar. So they were the one, I think, bowling most of the time. So I think after one or two hours, they would start rolling the ball. So it was very discouraging. <laughs> <laughs> it is baller. You know, to, to see that. Because you're like you're making a dream, you're making come true, you're making a debut. You expect your okay, captain would give you a few extra hours, you know, to bowl and show your talent. But nothing was happening in those days at that time. So it was fine. That's the way cricket was in those days. And so everything relied on spinners. And of course, they delivered the goods and also at that time. And uh, so I think it's the first inning uh, when I didn't get bowling, you know, like I was disappointed, you know. But I was expecting that because I was following the series. And I think first four test matches, probably every test match, there was a new bowler 
pace bowler bowling over there. So like I said here, what sort of a you know like debut I'm making and batting at number eight with tailenders, there was no opportunity to score runs either. So nothing went right at that time. So as you mentioned about Steve Paul and Stack Paul, so it happened in the second inning. And then I did bowl a long spell actually in that, I think I bowled 24 overs in that test match, which was uh, probably more than the entire team bowlers bowl in the series. <laughs> 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 I mean, and then you were dropped. <laughs> so how did, how did you reconcile with that fact? And what was your mental state when this happens? Does it sort of destroy you as a player? Uh, what would you advise some a young player who's who's had to go through this experience? It's a tough time, definitely. I think uh, when you have a decent debut, you expect to be part of the team and all those things. But I think cricket was different and controlled by different state, different zones, and the preference was given more to Bombay cricket in those days. And probably they were winning the domestic cricket Ranji Trophy most of the time. So you would always see that there were more players from Bombay than any other state uh, in the 60s and 70s. And uh, it was discouraging also in the sense he like, uh, you're doing well, you're not getting an opportunity and then you ask yourself a question, why am I good? I'm not good enough. But I think uh, what uh, went in my favor, I think my dad influenced properly and seen it all and he always encouraged and he was always positive. And, the, and I, I'm kind of a person who lives for today and uh, I never thought about yesterday and I never planned too many things for future. I still do the same thing. And I think that kept me going. And uh, so like I would take one day at a time. So six years is a long time. Probably people have that long a career <laughs> in their life and they play cricket or any other sport. But uh, I didn't give it up, you know, like I just kept trying and uh, I was quite happy the way I was at that time. So things have not changed. I just do things in a similar fashion now. So like I'm a happy-go-lucky kind of a guy and uh, I just... Uh, <laughs> so so that the, 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 there's a famous story that Laraji uh, told uh, you and Surinder that you, will, you cannot compete with each other and so one should become a left-hander and one should become a right-hander. What are the truths to that story? No, it's true actually because, uh, you know, he was, I think, ahead of times, to, to be very honest, because I think his first love was cricket. He would think about it, he would talk about it, he would play all the time. So he planned it, you know, like, and uh, because uh, when we were born and the, probably I think at that time himself he had planned our future, what he would like us to do. And definitely Surinder could bat right hand and left hand both equally. What if you had with, been told to do left hand? No, no see? way, no way. That shows, you know, like Surinder was 10, 10 steps ahead of my talent. He was very, very talented right from uh, younger days. And then he thought if two brothers are playing together, then both are fighting for the same spot, that means one would miss out. And this is, and he always felt, you know, left and right and combination is always good. <laughs> and uh, even I think in his playing, they must have learned and with experience and how good, you know, like uh, this combination works. So actually forcefully he was made to play and uh, make him a left-hander. And, and it worked actually in a way because whenever like later on we were growing up we would play and then Surinder was an exceptionally talented player and uh, he would uh, make all the records and he was a pleasure to watch and with a stroke play and then he would destroy any you know like attack not only spin pace any attack that he would uh, just I think 
what I used to hear about dad that he was a very flamboyant kind of a cricketer. And Surinder was more or less something close to him. I was totally different uh, to my dad's temperament, his technique and the style of play. And, uh, but I think the planning I thought was great, you know, like, and uh, we both got an opportunity mm -hmm. to present the Did you think Surinder got a raw deal in the Indian selection? Oh, from yes. the Indian selection committees? Absolutely, you got a very raw deal. You know, he should have played in the World Cup, he should have been a part of the team. And whenever, he, I think he got his opportunity very late. Mm -hmm. He should have played in the 60s rather than making a debut in 1976. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was scoring runs heavily. As I said, the, because rules were different in those days. For Bombay was dominating. And uh, let people from other states, you know, like we would get lesser opportunity. We were representing Punjab and we won't reach the knockout stages most of the time. So I think those plays were totally forgot in those days. And uh, so when he got an opportunity, he grabbed it with both hands, he scored 100 in his debut. And that was in Australia, in New Zealand, at Auckland, and it was a fantastic inning. I, I remember watching and, it. And 124, I think he scored in that. Uh, then probably, I think at times, you know, like sometimes I uh, believe in luck. Luck is one person factor in sports that he had sometimes injuries at the wrong time when he was doing well on tour, so then he missed out and all those things. And uh, apart from that, I think he was very consistent in domestic cricket. And whenever, whatever test cricket he has played, I think he's done it wonderfully well, playing series against England at home and Pakistan and other places. But somehow, you know, just he should have played. I remember like one incident in 1975, he used to have trials when the first World Cup uh, happened in England. And he did very well in those trial games, you know, like, and uh, so the team was announced. He was not a part of the team. And uh, probably later on, we came to know why he was not picked because he was too flashy a player for one day cricket. So we couldn't figure out, you know, he, like if it's <laughs> limited overs cricket, you need stroke player, not grafters. <laughs> so, so it was different, you know. So the attitude was, uh, yeah. he will bat out the 60 overs, <laughs> as some famous players have done. <laughs> yeah, it happens, you know, like, and uh, so there I think you missed out on number of occasion for that reason. And it should have, I think it would have been ideal for all format of cricket, actually. Mm -hmm. You know, very, very attractive player, very talented. But somehow he didn't get uh, an opportunity and credit for his talent. So you came back in 76 and one of the first series you played in was against the West Indies, where uh, famously, of course, in Port of Spain, India chased down 407, you made 85. Do you feel yourself directly responsible for Clive Lloyd deciding to use four seamers after that? <laughs> No, I think in those days, uh, wickets were different in the West Indies and uh, I think the venues like Guyana or Trinidad would assist batsmen and the spinners. And probably that uh, was probably must be in the back of Clive Lloyd's mind that we were playing with three spinners. He thought, why not just do the same? And uh, I think probably that's the last time the West Indian had played spinners, uh, you know, three spinners in yeah. a test match. And uh, I think it later on, not even two, maybe one used to play occasionally. Then he realized, probably Clive Lloyd, that uh, in world cricket, if West Indians, you know, have to do well and rule the world, then it just has to be pace. Mm -hmm. And they had fantastic fast bowlers, no doubt about it. And they all came at the right time, whether you talk about Andy Roberts, you talk about Michael Holding, Wayne Daniels, and all these people, you know, they all came in together. 
and then Croft came in, then Garner came in, you know, all these people then, like it. All Ireland and the great fast bowlers and only four could play, you know, at that time. Yeah. So there was no, like, uh, easy time for anybody. I still remember one funny story in 1962 when Indian team went to West Indies and Vijay Mera was an opening batsman from Punjab, was on the trip too. So for the side games, you know, people would uh, be ready to play, but in test matches, they would fake some injuries, you know, not to play Charlie <laughs> at Wesley Hall. Somebody would uh, sprain his hamstring overnight. And uh, all those things used to happen. And uh, so this was, he was telling me a story. He said, I was a young boy at that time. So he said, you know, they were playing a game against some island. I don't know. He said, he saw the guy, you know, like a bearing girl, not coming in his white, coming down from the hill to the ground. And, you know, like a pair of shoes uh, hanging around his neck, you know, like, and we said, it's just a side game, you know, like, and uh, he was not a very huge guy, I don't remember the name of the guy. And then he said, he decided to take a weekend, I can just relax today, you know, he went in to open the batting and, and he said, my God, probably he was one of the fastest they faced. <laughs> 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 the West Indies had so much talent in those days and they loved to bowl quick. And the other great thing used to be, you know, they used to, a lot of people used to come and watch matches in those days. And whether it was a side game or test match. And uh, if the batsmen would huck, hook or pull or play attacking cricket, they would love it, actually, in the West Indies. Mm. And if somebody would duck and my, they would boo that guy and all <laughs> that thing. So they were like, they were, they were playing carnival kind of a cricket. And they always like to see action packed, you know, happening in the middle, yeah. uh, in the ground also. Like, so those, those days were very different, actually. Do you compare that with, say, 83 when you went and scored famously 300s in the series there? Yeah, it was fast bowlers were around at that time. They were ruling the world actually, West Indian cricket. And they see the people they were playing at that time. You have Desmond Haynes, you have Gordon Greenwich, you had uh, Viv Richards, and all these guys, you know, like Clive Lloyd himself. You know, they were huge names at that time. And some other players also were part Larry Gomes, and all these guys were playing. So they had a f total, you know, like a. Uh, uh, a stable kind of a team. They would do anywhere or any condition they would bowl out the side with their fast bowlers. They were not only like fast bowler bowling short, they were crafty bowlers. They would uh, quick in the air. They would beat uh, batsmen with pace in the air. If the wicket was not assisting, they would do something else, you know. And so that's how they were winning most of the games on slower track, whether they were playing in India or Australia or anywhere in the world. So they were dominating at that time. And with their, you know, there's such batsmen, Viv Richard at Clive Lord himself and Greenwich and all a full uh, kind of a strong team. So there, no other team would stand near the West Indians uh, in those days. So it, they were very different. And of course, like, which I learned as a kid, I think to do well against fast bowlers to play attacking cricket. And dad always encourages right from the younger days. He say injuries in part and parcel of the game. When he's, you know, like playing his fast bowler. But be positive and be attacking. And a uh, very simple word used to say, Ki Amarnas don't duck, they hook. Punjab da putta. 3 for 31, 17 to Amarnath. Hook down to square leg, four runs. 
1982-83 was the pinnacle of your career when you went to Pakistan. Then you were in the West Indies. And you scored more than a thousand runs in those two series. Uh, which is, I think, six centuries, if I'm not right, uh, wrong. Um, Imran Khan and Viv Richards have both... Uh, Viv has told me this personally, that there are only two Indian batsmen that the entire West Indian team respected. And, and of course, the one was Sunny Gauss, the other one was Jimmy Amanath. And Imran Khan has written in his book that Jimmy Amanath should never have been dropped from, from, from the Indian side ever. So, when you had that achievement, what was the difference between you of those 82, 83 and the earlier days and the later days? How do you differentiate that? No, see, 83, I knew it was my last chance because I had already missed out uh, from 79 to 82. And uh, a lot of things were written about my technique, uh, you know, that uh, that I was scared of fast bowling, you know, like and all those kinds. But it didn't bother me because I never used to pay attention to those people because they were non-cricketers talk, talking about those things most of the time. And they had play, played very little cricket uh, at the highest level. So it didn't bother me, honestly. And when got, I got an opportunity, I knew like I was not getting younger. So it was my last opportunity. And it was tough to start with because I think when you're making a comeback, you know that one failure and that's it. So, and then maybe you may not get another opportunity. So, like, of course, you're nervous, you know, like, uh, you think too many things at that time. But once I think I went onto the field, I was quite relaxed. And when you do well in the first game, in your comeback match, then you don't look bad. So then when I did well in Pakistan in the first game, uh, playing at Lahore, and I, I didn't uh, think about that I had missed out nine years of international cricket, to be very honest. For me, as I said earlier, that I lived for that day. So it was for me that I was reborn on that day. And it's so like I'm starting my career again, once again. And so that just continued the journey, you know, like, uh, so it was something like, uh, just keep me going and, uh, and I just wanted to prove people wrong, those who doubted my abilities. And I said, you know, look, I was always good. I was no less than anybody else. But they had different rules for different players. So for Amarnath, definitely, you know, like... <laughs> <laughs> so that was the beginning in Pakistan of the reverse swing. <laughs> so two questions to this. And of course, Pakistan had the best umpires with, with the fastest fingers in the world. Um, and, you know, legendary characters like Mr. Shakur Rana, who I'm sure all the Indian cricketers have nightmares of. <laughs> so... Uh, can you just expand a little bit on the on how to tackle the reverse swing at that point? Because that was a completely new technique. Yeah, yeah. I think I probably this is the first time we were all experiencing and seeing that swing in the air. And uh, see, when somebody is bowling at uh, Imran pace, and uh, so it's not easy to play because you can play fast bowlers if he's coming quick at you. But when he's coming quick and doing moving around, then you know, like. Uh, it's a huge challenge uh, for batsmen because Vishwanath, I remember, uh, was a great player and himself, he couldn't figure out. He really struggled in that scene because of that swing, not because of pace. And this is what happened, actually. We couldn't believe our eyes, you know, that this thing could happen in test cricket. Mm. Of course, balls moves around in England, moves around in India in certain conditions. But that much swing was unbelievable. And I think um, I was lucky in a way my father was around, but I think his guidance uh, actually made me do well again. But he would just tell me what to do. Did you change your technique in any way? 
And yes, I did actually. I did a bit of uh, slight adjustment to my stance and to my technique and play according to the situation and the nature of the wicket because there were nobody else knew the wicket better than my father. Mm. And uh, probably he was, uh, see in those days he, would, he was allowed to go and although he was not a part of the Indian team but people in Pakistan respected him so much that uh, he would go and see the wicket also himself, they won't stop him. So I think that uh, helped me that he would tell me at times, you know, okay, okay, this wicket is like this and it will behave like this. And this technique you have to apply. He would tell me. Of course, I would go and apply my own technique, whatever. But I always keep at the back of my mind, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. And that worked wonderfully, you know, whereas people uh, would uh, play early, I would play late. You know, like that, allow the ball to move around and then adjust. So all those small, small things, you know, like which he taught us as a kid, I think came handy when I was playing. Uh, so, if you look at what people are doing today to negate swing, they're standing outside the crease. You, would you stand outside the crease or would you stand a little bit back, closer to the stumps because you're allowing the ball to do it? No, I think all batsmen have different technique uh, to play with, you know, like and uh, in those days... Uh, very rare that people would stand outside the crease. And I think some of them used to. Sunny probably was doing in those days. And uh, they would stand slightly outside the crease to cope up better with the swing. You're not That means you're closer to the ball. See, ball only swings when it's pitched up. It never swings when it's short. So I think the closer you are to the ball, and uh, you can control you know, that swing better. And uh, so I think every batsman has his own ways and adjusting himself. I would stand inside the crease, I won't stand outside. Maybe I would move early but play it late. And also every batsman has his own style of play and technique and all that thing. And now because when you see now, see why at times I feel the people struggle against swing bowling because it's a, I think, influence of shorter version of the game that is one. And the red ball definitely moves around much more <clears throat> than white ball, that is two. And in test cricket, this is like a real test for a batsman. And the bowlers can bowl as long as he wants, or the captain wants him to continue. And then shorter version is always a batsman-oriented game. The wickets are tailor-made for batsmen, not for anything for bowlers as such. So a lot of things changes and I think I'm betting, the, according to me, the main thing is to adjust your downswing of the bat. doesn't matter how high your back lift and all that thing, maybe you have to cut down your back lift and all this. So you have to adjust according to the nature of the wicket, the nature of the condition and the opponents, their strength and weaknesses. You know, you have to be a student of the game in all your life. You cannot be master. There's only one master that is Don Bradman, nobody else. He was a real master. And rest actually, you know, like uh, you have to remain the student. You have good days, you have bad days. And the, I always believe in thing. I think we always start uh, calculating or uh, investigating our technique when we are doing badly. When we are doing well, we don't think about anything. I think that's the time. I think when you're doing well, I think that's you, may, you should make maximum notes at that time. Why you're doing well. I think when you have a bad time, then you can compare your notes. And probably then you know where you're going wrong. Did you have to do anything in specific to counter, say, the umpiring decision? You get hit on the pad, umpire suddenly shoots his finger up, fast his finger first. No, I think there is a, there's a joke <laughs> going around at that time. You know, like, uh, 
and uh, that people, see, Pakistani empires were notorious and famous, <laughs> <laughs> and people knew that uh, the, the, there were a lot of home advantage, to, especially to their batsmen. It was very difficult to get LBWs in Pakistan, especially the established players. And uh, there was a joke, I think, at that time going around, you know, that uh, when other Pakistani bowlers would bowl and uh, they won't appeal un unnecessarily. And they would only appeal when they would feel or felt that batsman was out. So they won't appeal in a greater noise and they would ask the umpire, where is Allah? The umpire, you know, take his fingers away, Allah is up there. <laughs> <laughs> These are all jokes, you know, especially in Indian-Pakistan series. And uh, so, like, I don't think it was, I think probably sometime uh, it was the emotions, you know, take over the situation as such, especially when India playing Pakistan. And this is what exactly happening and uh, I, I don't know because I always believe and I think I was advised by my father that uh, especially in Pakistan, <laughs> I think it's better to use your bat all that time than using your pad, you know, like, and I did suffer in a couple of games that way. And I realized, no, no, especially in that one country, it's not to love the ball to hit your pad. Why do they have pads in Pakistan? No, the problem because they had, of course, they had quality bowlers, no doubt about it. And Brown, Sarfraz, they were very fine bowlers, fantastic combination of fast bowlers. You know, they're very, very good, very talented, and they could do a lot of things with the ball. And, uh, but uh, I don't know really because the condition was the same for both the teams. But one team ball was swing in yards and the team ball will move around in inches, you know, in the air. So this was the difference in <laughs> Pakistan. So, and there was also an allegation made and, and we saw that because I was, I avidly watched that yeah. entire series on television. One of the first series which was sort of live on television, uh, at least in Mumbai. And so, uh, Every interval, after every interval, the ball would start swinging. <laughs> Do you think that there was anything that was not kosher about this ball swing? I don't know. Actually, at that time, probably we were naive, you know, like uh, we didn't think anything uh, in a negative way. Hmm. And uh, we didn't think, you know, like uh, they were fiddling with the ball. Honestly, this was my opinion at that time. Probably I was too naive for all those things. And I would think probably they were more talented. And that's why they were getting, they were talented, but I think they were not that talented that would get that much swing. And this was happening, you know, like, uh, and this it would happen in intervals. You know, and it was shocking also and surprising also at times. You know, suddenly you're, you're very comfortable, two wicket downs at 200, suddenly you're 240 all out, 250 all out. <laughs> in one spell, you lose six wickets. You know, it was unbelievable actually. And uh, so definitely, I'm sure, I think, apart from their talent, they were definitely doing something. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 83 obviously was the, the World Cup win. You played in four World I Cups. think we should leave that for the end because okay. we have a lot of questions on the World Cup. I think before that, Let's let's look at the oh, I wasn't go into the West Indies series, series. Yeah. you know, because uh, like like uh, I, you know, we know he's in three centuries on really quick wickets against very Very-fast. devastatingly quick bowling, quick bowlers. Uh, and he changed his stance. Then is that correct? Did you open your stance up a little bit more? 
And because of that, you were able to hook the ball and pull? Yeah, you always used to hook, you know, like from my younger days. And if, as I said, uh, we were encouraged as a kid to play those shots. And uh, this was nothing new or different. Of course, definitely I made some adjustment before the Pakistan tour. And then I realized, you know, I could cope up better with short ball. I could leave them whenever I wanted to. And I would get into position to hook them also. So definitely that was, uh, and I still believe, you know, like if you watch all the great players, I think they all, not open stars, but they have slightly open left shoulder when they play quickies that allow you to play certain shot uh, with authority and with control. And they definitely, and then I think when you play against fast bowlers, uh, you read their mind as well. And in those days, any fast bowler playing against India would only bowl short. <laughs> Because not many Indian batsmen would hook, you know, or they would duck or they would defend and all those things would, they, they were very rare that like many people would go for those kind of a stroke. I think that suited me well because then they would always bowl with such attacking feel and uh, they would keep bowling short and all that. So like it was like a counter attack I was doing and uh, it, I think it helped me to score those runs and I enjoyed uh, playing against those. They were all great bowlers, you know, when you talk about Malcolm Marshall, Michael Holding, Andy Robert, Joe Gardner, these four guys were playing most of the time. There were other lot of fast bowlers around, but they didn't get an opportunity. And they on their they were lethal, you know, because uh, it's very difficult to say who was better, who was lesser in those days. They were all great bowlers. And on a particular day, probably one would bowl much quicker than the rest and probably would get better rhythm and all that thing. So it was an, uh, I think it was an experience to play and I think any captain, if he had uh, 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 this fast bowler's battery available, he would be happy, you know, like, uh, you, because you don't require much of a captain's over <laughs> there. You just give them a ball, go and do the job and bowl in a spell and all that thing. So I think they had everything, you know, when you have such arsenal with you and all that. So that's why they were controlled. But it was very satisfying for me because see, one day I was nowhere. And the rest, like a 12 months time, I achieve everything. So I think that game is the most satisfaction of my whole career. I would, I would put that that year as your exceptional year when you were considered the best match in the world. Definitely, that's match quick. Um, then again, we can come back to the world. Then you had the world. Then we can we can talk to Jimmy about who his favorites were. Yeah. And what he sees See. the future. Uh, and some very funny incidents that he may have had uh, experiences with uh, yeah. during his playing careers. Because I think we have to also get his, because he's uh, he's a fun guy, yeah. you know, basically. Yeah. So we should get some of some, that some, exactly. perspective as well. If you've enjoyed the first part of the interview, please stay tuned for the second part where we talk about the 83 World Cup, the end to his legendary career, his post-retirement roles, and of course, his views on modern cricket. Please stay tuned for the remainder. All of that coming up on part two. If you're watching on YouTube, please remember to like, share and subscribe to all our videos and click on the bell icon to remain notified. And if you're listening to us on audio platforms, remember to listen to us. We're available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Podcast Addict and Apple Podcasts as well.